Eufy is sponsoring today's video. They reached out to me. I tested out their video lock. It is a game changer. I'm going to paint a picture for you for why I'm so excited to work with them. So you're getting home. Your arms are loaded with groceries or packages or boxes or everything. And your keys are in your pocket. This drives me nuts. This happens all the time. I upgraded to the Eufy video lock. Fingerprint tap i'm inside and honestly i also feel way safer it's got this awesome built-in camera so whether it's a package delivery or late night uber order i see exactly who's there right from my phone there are no more mystery knocks and the best part this thing was such a breeze to set up there's no wires there's no drilling uh, there's also no monthly subscription fees so if you are done fumbling with your keys because i definitely am search for eufy video lock or head over to eufyofficial.com slash video lock your front door, your sanity. Hey everyone, Scott here from the Success Story Podcast. Today you're gonna to hear me on the Something About Innovation Podcast hosted by Clayton Hinkle. We broke down some innovative sales and marketing strategies, at least I think they are, and we also spoke about some great leadership and management lessons that were unearthed uh, through the last two years during the pandemic and how that's impacted businesses. I hope you enjoy. Scott Clary. Is that What's how you say it, Clary? Clary, right? Yeah, you got it. You got it. No, Cla no. Clary. Too many people make that mistake. Clary. 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 So welcome to the to the show. Something about innovation. I'm Clayton. It's the first time we've met face to face. It's true. So I see you all over LinkedIn. Mm -hmm. I thought you I thought you'd be great to have on the show. So why don't you why don't you start out with you know, we kind of had the discussion. Do you think you're innovative? You think you're innovative. So could you just kind of start with why, why you say <laughs> I, that? I think, I think, uh, I think that's a precursor to be on the show. So maybe I was just trying to, uh, maybe I was just trying to get in, but no. <laughs> oh, now you disappoint me. No, oh. no, no. I'll, uh, I'll walk you through what I do and, and maybe some of it's innovative. Hopefully it's innovative. Yeah, so that's great. I, uh, I work in software. Um, right now I lead a, a sales and marketing team. Um, I work for the company Grass Valley. Before, mm -hmm. for the past two years, I was working for a company called Excitem. We were just acquired by Grass Valley about a month ago, uh, formally. We were working in an informal capacity before. So we sell software to broadcasters. Um, we sell stuff for live streaming, audience engagement, things that allow people to connect virtually. That's, that's my nine to five. Um, outside of that, you you see me on LinkedIn. You see me building my own brand. You see me podcasting, posting, all that stuff. And that's the other side of what I do. You know, that side hustle, the building out the podcast, the getting my name out there, getting people to know who I am, finding incredible people to talk to on the podcast. So, you know, I innovate in my job in terms of the tech that we actually deliver to customers. And then I also innovate in terms, in my, in my opinion, building out a, a brand is innovating in a sense because it's something that not everybody's doing yet but it has incredible long-term potential it has a lot of benefit you're doing it now with this podcast you're building out a show around I hope. you speaking to guests you hope fingers crossed right yeah. and that's a little bit of a, a backstory a 360 of, of what i am and, and what i do so what do you you've talked to lots of people you've done over a hundred uh a yeah. hundred podcasts you had to have learned you probably can't count the number of things you've learned. What, what are some of the things that, you know, of those 100 plus guests, what mm -hmm. what sticks out to you? I mean, what have, what have you kind of 
you know, the top three things you've learned from that, ex from the experience so far? Sure. Um, the number one thing I would say is anybody who is successful at anything uh, is very curious, has a curious personality. Um, you see that come up in, in many different ways and it's said different, said differently depending on who says it, of course, but that's the underlying theme. It's you want to you want to explore things. You want to figure stuff out on your own. And that's manifested in successful careers. It's manifested in really successful businesses, entrepreneurial ventures, all this stuff. It's about being curious and just trying to figure it out without somebody teaching it to you. That's the number one thing that I see a lot of very successful people do. Um, another another thing that I see uh, a lot of people say that has helped them become successful is the ability it's almost a it's a dichotomy it's the ability to ask for help when they need it and knowing that they don't know everything that's a huge huge uh that's a huge win and a huge positive personality trait but at the same time having a significant amount of confidence in their own abilities so it's funny how yeah. that works so they know that if Everything, if they lost all their money, they lost their job, their business folded, they got fired, whatever, they know that they could do it again. And they're not concerned because they know they can do it again from nothing, from literally nothing. They're okay with that. But they also know that along that journey, if they don't know something, it's okay to ask. It's okay to find a mentor. It's okay to ask a peer. It's okay to ask a boss, a friend, whatever, because the dumbest thing you can possibly do in a, in a job is pretend you know something and the, the fake it till you make it is not going to get you very far if you really don't know what you're doing. So yeah. ask. And the second you ask, like I'm in sales, so I ask all the time. I'm okay asking, but a lot of people maybe don't have that wired into their personality feeling like it's okay to ask for help. And I think that that is what can make or break somebody, the, the ability to ask for help. And then you sort of, you said three things. Okay, let's say, let's say one more thing. I'm a big proponent of threes. Yeah, I know. It's a good, it's a good number. It's a, it's an easy number. So we got curiosity. We got, uh, we got the ability to be like self-aware and, and there's, you know, I guess the, the, the one that you'll hear again and again, and this is, I don't pretend this is like new info. If you listen to an entrepreneur speak about this or anybody who has some measure of success, they'll say, uh, the word they'll use is grit, perseverance, tenacity. It's like, what is success? Uh, success Perhaps. is, yeah, unrelenting exactly. Persistence. Unrelenting persistence. I love it. That's a great shirt. Sorry, I, I couldn't help. No, no, no. It's a good shirt, and that's what it is. So, custommake.com, people. Really? <laughs> custommake.com. Yeah, that's cool. Yeah. I didn't know that. I've never seen. Uh, I've never You're seen welcome, that brand before. I where it was from. You're welcome. So, you yeah, just you, you can put whatever you want. Yeah, so I, I just wrote it on a yeah. shirt. I like it. I like so it. I, so, I talk about you. Yeah. Thanks. I yeah. appreciate that. Yeah. yeah. I, I talk about, it just came to me one day. I don't know. I, I was on some topic on LinkedIn that the, the phrase just came to me. What well, I write a lot. I've, I've written and talked a lot about humility. It's very important mm -hmm. to me. Humility. Um, and not, and not pretending, you know, everything. Um, and you know, I, I, I kind of was on that for a while and then someone said, well, you know, humility is too passive. And I think that mm -hmm. you, you summed it up very well. And what you just said, it's, it's humility isn't necessarily, okay, I, I have a low opinion of myself. 
I think you can have a high opinion of yourself, just not the, at the expense of other people. Right. And I like that. A what lot. you talked about it. Yeah. yeah. What you talked about is, um, you know, I'm confident, but I know I, I don't know it all. It's impossible. And, yeah. you know, I have to rely on the team, the team and other people to, to assist, to, to accomplish things. And so I, I kind of revised, I wrote an article on it, LinkedIn. I kind of revised it a little bit to put, to put that in there. Cause it's a good point. I mean, you know, cause if you look at humility, the definition, it's kind of a lower modest opinion. And mm -hmm. I don't, you know, I don't, I think it's okay that you have confidence in yourself. Just don't let it, let it be at the expense of others. So I like that. That's my and I like the thing. way that you phrased that being, being too humble or, or having humility, not being humble, having humility, it is very passive. So part of that, part of that problem is having to go find people. So having humility is fine, but if you're not doing anything about it, if you're just saying, I don't know, and there's no action, then you're just still not knowing what you're, you still don't know what you do, right? Right, exactly, yeah. I, I kind of call it a proactive humility. Yes, I like that a lot. You know, there's lots of different terms, but yeah. Um, so that's interesting. Do you, what, you know, in the, in the talks you've had with people, do you, does that come out? Do you think the humility side of, of people? It depends on the personality. I think it depends on the personality. I think, I think, uh, I think at the, I think at its core, most people at some point in their career have had to have been humble to be successful. Um, actually, you know what? No, I, you know, thinking back, most, most successful individuals have a have a degree of have a, some degree of humility i don't think that anybody i don't think that anybody's come across as i've done this without help or i've done this on my own i don't think i've ever yeah. had that vibe from somebody ever actually yeah because what i see in a lot of cases and, and my article kind of goes through this on linkedin but um yeah there are so many companies that that they get they get arrogant you know, they've got this True. killer product. Don't, no, don't change it. You know, it's a cash cow. Um, don't change it. Don't innovate. And then they, they inevitably fail. I mean, they I, the example I used in my article. Yeah. Yeah. The example I used in my article was, was Blackberry. Um, you know, yeah, people, a, want, a people want a physical that... keyboard. I had an argument yeah. 2010, the colleague, I said, he's like, iPhone's a toy. I said, iPhone is not a toy. It's the future. <laughs> and, you know, I, I, you just have to, you have to be open to, you know, and to, for me, it was about being open. It's like, you know, I have, I don't like, I like the physical keyboard better. Yeah. But this virtual one, is it good enough? And will I trade it for all this extra real estate on my, on my device? And, you know, I think the answer is yes. The answer, the answer is a, a resounding yes. And you can Blackberry, uh, Toys R Us, uh, Blockbuster, um, everyone that went bankrupt in the past two years because they only were focused on brick and mortar and they didn't have any sort of e-commerce business. There's a, a, a thousand and one examples of companies that didn't innovate and died because, because they were arrogant. And then there's another thousand and one examples of companies that knew that they had to figure out something or they were going to die. And now they're thriving. So yeah. Sometimes you can people, pull out of the dive. You can. I mean, Apple did. Apple pulled out of the dive, right? I mean, they were <laughs> they were going nowhere good there for a while, and then Jobs came back and there's a lot of companies that have innovated. 
and I can't I can't think of yeah. the example off the top of my head, but there's some they, there's some products that you use day to day, and I wish I could IBM. Just think of one. IBM's one. There's, IBM. a, there's a few that yeah. have like gone through so many different cycles that you wouldn't even recognize. Yeah. Yeah, you could argue, you know, maybe the American car manufacturers to a certain extent. Yeah. I mean, they get, they got some help from the government, but what do you think makes a good leader? What makes a good leader is that what what makes a good leader is different than what a lot of people who are leaders personify. What makes a good leader is somebody who wants people who they're working with to eventually grow and outgrow the the place that they're in right now. So what makes a good leader is when you are building people up to the point where they have the ability to exit your organization and and get paid more, do something else, start a side hustle, be successful at that because of the the tutelage and the learning and the and the the, the things that you've given them while you've had a chance to be part of their life. That's what a good leader is. When you're growing other people, said more simply. That's not, unfortunately, what a lot of leaders do because they're focused on bottom lines, KPRs, OKRs, revenue, whatever metric you want it. So it's, it's very hard to find somebody who is uh, altruistic enough and a good enough person to... And, and also a smart enough and talented enough person to be able to balance organizational goals while also focusing on the growth, the true growth of the people that they work with. And it can be, it can, it doesn't have to be monumental tasks. Like I'll give, I'll give examples. Like when I, when I have employees that work for me, if they're looking for, uh, it's something that I'm actually going through right now. They're looking for another job with, uh, with the company. Um, and we don't have a position that really fulfills what they are actually able to do. So uh, they're given as much time as they need to find another company. Uh, I'm editing her resume right now. I'm giving her a reference letter and I'm making sure that wherever she lands, she's going to be doing what she has to do. And it's going to it's going to it's, it's a financial burden and it's a stressful burden on, on the company I'm working with right now. But you know what? At the end of the day, she's going to be happier. She's going to be, you know, exceeding and 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 doing what she actually wants to be doing, which is uh, moving into a project management role. Um, and in our company, uh, we're going to have to fill the gap that she was, you know, that she was in. And it is what it is. But we'll survive. She'll be better off for it. And at the end of the day, I feel like I, I do believe that there is a sense of uh, karma, or you know, what goes around comes around. And I have, and I'm absolutely positive that by by allowing people to do that. And that's one example, but by providing people the support to do that, it's going to only lead to good things in the future for, for you know, our relationship, myself, and and you know my company, her, and wherever she ends up. So it's just that's a simple like one-off example, but that's the kind of thing that not a lot of people would do. I don't know too many bosses that help their employees write resumes to go get them a new job, but if she's not a good yeah. fit. And she's not happy, and she's not, uh, you know, succeeding and excelling in, in what she can do. And if you don't have a way to make that happen in your company, then take the extra step and review a resume on a Saturday night, so that she has the foundation to go be successful somewhere else. If you have the ability to do that, I think that that's just a it's a it's a small little example, but it's something that has to happen more often. And that is, in my opinion. Uh, without sounding pretentious, because I'm giving you an example of myself, and it's not what I mean to do, but that's the type of stuff that makes good leadership. Yeah, no, that's fair. So, 
for the show, I I tried to do some background research on you, and yeah. I came across a little <laughs> tidbit. Um, you know, I hate to bring this up, you know, because this is going to be broadcast. But is it true that you actually tried to rob Bank of Canada with a butter knife when you were seven? Yes, it is. It's unfortunate. I did some hard time for that. I did some hard time. For well, I heard that. I heard three but... I heard three years in juvie is what I heard. <laughs> Is that what you know? Yeah, well, is that what kind of turned you around? Do you think in your life, or you know, what was your so. inspiration growing up? I well, you know, I, I'm glad at that point um, it was just a butter knife. That's why it was only three years. I wasn't that successful with a butter knife. <laughs> but you know, can, I can only imagine if I got away with the money, I would have been spending the rest of my life in jail. So you know, um, that's funny. That's funny. But so, who was your inspiration growing up? Bob and Doug McKenzie were they? Yeah, Bob and Doug McKenzie were they, they at all? Because they, I, I think, mean, they were very, they were successful innovators. You, you have to admit. I mean, they were successful innovators. Is that the, is that the, is that the, the only uh, Canadian innovator that you that you could pull up? <laughs> well, it's, I mean, it's the most famous, right? I mean, come on, <laughs> it's one of the most famous. You know, they're. Um, oh no, that's not Bob and Doug McKenzie. The uh, I, I, I was. Um, Oh my God! I was watching. I, I just saw some old uh, old Canadian actors redoing like uh, they're trying to make themselves relevant again, and, I, and I'm blanking on who they are. I think actually, uh, who is it? No, it's not Duncan Bob McKenzie. It's no, um, he's, go he's googling everybody. Watch out! I am googling it. It's uh, uh, oh, I'm blanking on their names. Anyways, it was uh, it was like another like duo that was trying to make themselves relevant, and they were doing like Uber Eats commercials again, and I had to laugh because it's around from the same time that they were that they were famous i guess but uh um anyways what what is my inspiration yeah i'm a black i, I guess I, I guess the serious question is why sales and marketing you know why, why did you oh, well, what attracted you to that area didn't didn't start in marketing didn't start in marketing by any means um so my family uh my family is all uh police so uh, hmm. father was RCMP, uncle was RCMP, uh, which is basically just in Canada, like, uh, you know, federal yeah, yeah, level yeah. Uh, police. Right. Um, I'm just, I'm just, I'm just breaking it down. <laughs> Do they really ride horses? Is that, is that a real thing? Like all around Canada, thing. they ride horses still? Not yeah, all yeah. around Canada. Oh, that's not the transportation. They, no, it's not the, it's not the main, main method of transportation. Um, so yeah, so my and my you know then then my father went into CSIS, which is like a Canadian uh, Canadian CIA, uh, you know, by putting mm. it simply without going into too much too much detail. But um, so my well, my background you might, was you might yeah. get you know yeah, yeah. you're sworn to secrecy. Well, if it's broadcast, so, yeah, we'll just... I'm, I'm, I'll get in trouble if we go any deeper on that one. But uh, no, so yeah. my background was my background was law law enforcement. Uh, my undergrad um, my undergrad was in, in like basically criminology and pre law. Um, I was going to go into I was going to go into law school uh, after you know my four year undergrad, and um, I while in university I started working for a telecom company, which is funny why you brought you brought up BlackBerry. I worked for Bell Canada while in university, mm -hmm. um, so I'm very very well aware of the BlackBerry situation and the struggles that they've they've gone through because very very tightly uh, you know very very. Um, we, we sold their products all the time. So anyway, so started in, sure. in yeah. telco sales, tech sales, did quite well at it, made a ton of money um, in university for the type of job that I was doing. 
because uh, there's a whole bunch of commissions and whatnot, moved up through different markets. So moved into call center, then moved into like actual business sales. So SMB mid enterprise with uh, with Bell and um, was very good at sales. It was very good at sales, was very good at technical sales. And as you move up markets, you sell more complicated products. Um, I always knocked my numbers out of the park president's club, you know, in the top percentile that it was always very easy. And I guess it was a mix of being able to naturally communicate with people, a little bit of charisma built into there with a strong uh, technical understanding, because I do nerd out and try and really dive into tech on a lot of different things. So a lot of the products we sold came quite easily. And I could, I could really explain them quite easily to customers, which ended up being a really a, a strength when it came to tech sales. So if you're making good money, you're excelling at your job. Um, and then you start to see the career path start to form. So you then I moved into a separate telco, another telco, and I was in a sales leadership position there. Um, it was more of a startup vibe. It wasn't startup in terms of the length that it's been around, but it was startup in terms of the revenue size. And it was a, you know, a founder operated company. Um, and that's when I was starting to do sales, but I was also working with the marketing team as well. Um, and I just realized that in a leadership position, if you are in control of sales and revenue, you should still have a strong understanding of the marketing component of an organization, of an organization. You should understand how to drive demand, how to drive revenue, how to get your products out there, how to attract people to your company. Um, and I understood that if I wanted to be successful and in my mind, it was like CRO, like C-suite, like that's what I, that's, that was the goal. Like if I, if I was going to do this, I wasn't going to do it and just stay at one, one point. I wanted to do it and be like incredibly successful because then, you know, keep in mind, this is replacing law school. This is replacing, mm. this is replacing a significant career, you know, good money, good pay in law. So if I'm going to do it, I'm going to go all the way to the top. So I got to learn all the stuff that comes with being at the top. So that was sort of, that was sort of my first entrance into sales, evolved into uh, loving it, making a ton of money doing it. And then as I moved into leadership positions, then it was more just how do I understand the strategy behind how to make the most money for a company, which then started to involve marketing. And I mentioned one point about people who are successful in their careers or with their businesses are being, are, are extremely curious. Well, that, that's me. That, that is that is me in a nutshell. I, I learn everything. I learn absolutely everything. I'm podcasts, YouTube, Udemy, auditing courses, whatever it is. I'm learning it. I'm doing it. I'm applying it. I'm testing it. And that's been my entire career, just learning things and not in a formal setting ever. I took I have an MBA now, but back then I did not have an MBA. I, I didn't have any business schooling. I didn't go to, I didn't go, I didn't take a, you know, a, a bachelor of business or a business degree in my undergrad, but it's all about finding it out, figuring it out and doing it. And that's what I've been doing since, since I realized that that's what I had to do to really get to that, you know, C-suite level in an organization. I can identify. Yeah, I can identify with that. I, I actually went to school for mechanical engineering and ended up in it. So, you know, I think that's not probably that uncommon, but, uh, it's hard to know what yeah. you want to do the rest of your life when you're when you're 20. So it is hard. But if you find something you're good at and you find something that you can understand and you can do better than other people and it also pays you a ton of money, you generally try to double down on that thing. Now, 
I also tried to double down on entrepreneurship. That was, I went into consulting. I was trying to build my own consulting practice. That was, that was fun. It was a lot of work. I le- I learned a lot. Um, I've always just tried new things. If it works, I do it more. If it doesn't work, I try something else. And that's sort of what's led me down my entire career. And And it's always been in what I know best, which is sales, marketing, bringing a product to a customer, bringing customers to a product, and everything from top of funnel, developing the demand all the way through to driving a customer down a, through a sales cycle and eventually closing. And I just keep applying the lessons that I learned. And now the stuff that I know at this point is pretty much on, on the cutting edge, on the, on the bleeding edge of what is relevant and what companies use today in terms of strategy to, to drive demand, to develop demand, to drive revenue. And that's what I'm applying to the startup that I was working at that was just acquired, as well as what I'm still doing with Grass Valley. And I use those same lessons to grow my own stuff. I use the same marketing lessons to get my podcast out. I use the same marketing lessons to grow my newsletter. And and it's everything you do has a compounding effect. So when you learn something in, in one part, if you, for example, are starting a side hustle, you have to learn how to market, how to sell. I have the luxury of being able to already know some of that stuff from my nine to five, but you just, you're compounding all the lessons you learned on, onto each other. And you're just becoming better at everything you do constantly. And that's, listen, that's, that's the key to being successful in life. That's it. What else? Well, you didn't get the second time. You didn't, you didn't apparently uncover the second time I tried to rob a bank with a, with a butter knife. Also unsuccessful. So I'm glad you didn't go too far into my into yeah, my, I, into my that butter knife incident wasn't that butter knife incident wasn't good. Um, trying to think what else. What do what are your what are your uh, the, the people that you bring onto your show? What are what are what are they? Who are they? Are they entrepreneurs? Are they interesting people? That is there a, a niche that you try and serve? It's really hard to get people to come on the show. To be frank, I mean. No, I'm just really? kidding. I just, I like I just got started. <laughs> I just got started. Yeah, I, for me, I, I, I like, I've always liked new ideas, you know, innovation. It's what I like to do. Yeah. It's what I like to talk about. Um, you know, what what are, how about this one? You know, what from a COVID perspective, I mean, that's been disruptive yeah. to every industry. Yeah. How have you seen things change and how companies, you know, from your perspective had to change over the last year in order to accommodate Sure. That. So that's a good point. And actually, we didn't even, you know, it's silly. We talked about, we spoke about my background. We didn't even speak about innovation in terms of how companies market or how companies sell, which is actually what I do day in, day out. That's what I'm trying to figure out. That's what I'm actually doing. But part of those things is how do, company, how do companies operate? How do companies, how do companies actually, in a COVID environment, how do they keep the lights on? How do they, how do they interact and engage with their employees? So a few lessons out of COVID. First of all, companies um, from a technical perspective have not properly previously to COVID set themselves up for success. They didn't have the infrastructure to support people working from home, people uh, being able to communicate outside of the office. There was a, in a lot of companies, not all companies, certain industries are much better set up for this than others. For example, like the Facebooks and the Googles and the Fang, you know, the Facebook, Apple, uh, Netflixes of the world yeah. 
and all the Silicon Certainly. Valley. That's fine. They're they're good. But the other companies, uh, they were sorely under uh, underinvested in their tech stack and their understanding of how people want to work and like to work in 2021. And what COVID did is it fast tracked that learning curve for a lot of companies. It made people realize that if they're going to compete, if they're going to be relevant, if they're going to attract the best, youngest, brightest talent, whatever it may be, they have to find the tools to allow people to work the way they want to work. Because if you're only attracting people in your, in your geographical region to come into the office all the time, that's going to be, that's going to be an impediment because what 2020 and 2021 have done is they've acclimated and made people uh, just much more okay with working virtually, vir like working remotely. And yeah, are you, are you cut off? You can't hear me. I lost my audio. Did it, uh, did it die? Can you talk again? Hello, 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 hello. No, hello, you're back. Hello. Sorry. See? Something it, always it breaks. Is... Something always breaks. Something always breaks. <laughs> you have no idea. Frustrating. Break. Why can't it, it just work? Of course, then yeah, I wouldn't well, have a job because IT would be fine, but. That's true. That so we're so I'm sorry. Where were you? No, I was just saying that companies under underinvested in tech, so they had to ramp up their tech. And by ramping up their tech, that means that now people can they can hire people anywhere in the world, quite easily. So that's one thing the companies that's a hurdle the company had to go to work through. Yeah. So do you think that's a good thing or a bad thing? Because you know, um, before companies were kind of geographically restrained you know, because mm -hmm. they wanted you to come to the office, right? So outsourcing, yeah. you could do it to other countries, but it was a pain, yeah. you know, now that everyone is perhaps remote, you know, I think the good news is, is the good news for em employees perhaps is that, you know, you can live in Florida and be employed in California, for example, yeah. but you could also live in India and be employed in California. So how do you think that shakes out going forward? Well, I think it, so one thing that I've learned um, is that a lot of we spoke about leadership before and you spoke about good leaders and a lot of companies found out that they have a whole bunch of shitty leaders that work for their company and they don't know how to they don't know they don't know what they're so concerned about micromanaging an employee in office that the second an employee goes home, nobody knows how to manage. Nobody knows how to actually get people to perform because they've never actually had to worry about true leadership right i put that in like true leadership as opposed to just micromanaging or being somebody's boss whereas if you find a good employee and you light a fire in that employee and you get them excited about what they're doing day in day out they're going to do that from home but if you're a shit leader and you have never properly communicated or built any sort of bond with your employees and they're you know they're looking at a clock waiting to leave and then all of a sudden that yeah. person's working from home well, yeah, it's going to be hard to manage them because you didn't you didn't actually set them up for success and you haven't been a good leader to them up until that point. You were just micromanaging them. And that's how you got output out of that person. That's not a way to lead. But that's what a lot of companies encountered when their whole teams went home. And then they realized that their teams didn't really care that much about the work they were doing. And all of a sudden, now you have these people that are trying to figure out how to micromanage people at home, which is not the answer. 
But that's the that's the result. That's the result of poor leadership that was sort of exposed during COVID. That's one thing. That's a that. For me, it's about results. I mean, it is I don't about understand results. why people. Yeah, I don't understand why people have such a struggle with just saying, "Okay, here are the ten things that you need to get done this week." Right. End of the week. Are are they done? Or are they not done? Because they're not. Because they're not confident. They're not confident in their own ability. They're not confident in their own ability. Or perhaps those ten things, those results, perhaps the employees don't even understand why those results matter. And if the employees don't understand why those results matter, that's not an employee problem. That's a company problem because you're not communicating properly with your employees. So that leads to breakdown in communication. And then if something gets missed and because the employee doesn't know why it mattered or not, then you're upset. But in the office, maybe you would be like breathing down their neck and saying like, when is this going to be done? But now they're home. You can't breathe down their neck anymore. So now you have to become a better person, a better version of yourself, a better leader, whatever that is. And a lot of people had a lot of trouble with that. I think that's another result of COVID. So you're seeing who's a good leader, who's a who's a horrible leader, because it's exposed. Yeah, I've also I've also read it takes a different type of leader. Yeah, but more task-oriented than than charismatic. Than charismatic, you know, is what this article was arguing that you know. Leaders often uh, kind of are very charismatic and, you know, they, they're able to feed that energy into the employees. And when you're yeah. remote, you can't do that as well. I like that. That's a good, Organ- that's a good way of putting it. Organization is a lot more important. Yeah. That's a very good way of putting it. Yeah, charisma is very important. Charisma is very important. But I, I think that if that's all you're relying on, then, of course, you're still going to, you're still going to, not be as effective and that will trickle down to your team or your peers missing the mark on things so again but that but but if you're just if you're just a charismatic person in real life anyways it doesn't mean you're a good leader just because you lucked into having a team that rallies behind you and figures stuff out on your own because you're a nice person you're charismatic and everybody likes you doesn't actually make you a good leader that's just masking poor leadership skills in an in-person environment yeah right but I think a lot of leader. I think a lot of people were promoted into leadership because they are charismatic. Could and be. it's not the right reason, but I, I think it, yeah. it might be the reality. It could be because they're the ones that speak up, right? Those are those are the ones that raise their hand, and 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 those are the ones that maybe build the relationships or network or whatnot. And you're right; it's not a good. It's not a good uh, de facto. You know. We're going to pick the person who I like the best to move into the team lead position or the management position. That's not that's not good at all. I'm sure that happens all, all the time. That's it's well, really not I'm going great. To, I'm going to do that, and then I'm not going to teach them how to be a leader. So yeah, that's yeah. Well, it's, it's coming from a sales background. It's even worse, right? Because usually in sales, you have the top seller become the sales manager, and the top seller doesn't usually have a really great process for how they sell. They're just a very charismatic, outgoing person. They close a lot of deals. They've been doing it this way for like the past five, 10 years, whatever. And move into a sale leadership role and they don't have a single leadership or management skill in their body. And now they're letting down their whole team. They're not sure why people are missing the mark, not hitting the revenue numbers, whatever, but they don't know how to lead. They don't know how to manage, they don't know how to teach because they've just been the top performer that yesterday they were a top performer. Today they're supposed to 
be this this leader, this teacher to all these people that are looking up to them. That's a hard transition to make, and it's and it's one that people are usually not successful at. And there's other, you know, that's sort of my background in in sales and sales leadership and whatnot. So I know that, and I see it happen a lot. But I'm sure there's similar uh, instances happening in other in other parts of businesses where you like you have that charismatic individual that moves into a leadership position because they network with the right people or whatnot. Not saying it happens all the time, but it does happen. It'd be naive to think otherwise. But but uh, no, it's a very good point. So COVID COVID made people sort of you know get their stuff together, get their shit together. And it's going to it's going to continue to make people unfortunate to get their shit together, and that's what I think. Out of all the negative and bad and horrible that this past two years has brought us, um, one thing it has forced companies to be better. It ha- or they they will go to business. This is going to be a heavily edited video. Let me tell you that. That's cool. Don't worry about it. Don't worry about it. So thanks for coming on the show. I really appreciate it. And, Man, it's uh, my pleasure. Keep doing what you're doing and keep Thank in you touch. For inviting and, me. Uh, you're welcome. So Scott Clary, everybody. Have a great, have a great, okay. great, great weekend. Cheers. I know a lot of entrepreneurs listen to this show and NetSuite has been a huge supporter for entrepreneurs, for business owners, because there's one thing that we all know. Business is about making money and it's about your bottom line. And the less you spend on the nuts and bolts of running your business, the more profits you keep. But these days, everything is costing more. Supplies, people, shipping. It squeezes your margins. And I've been there juggling multiple systems for finance, inventory, you name it, each with its own costs and its own set of headaches. That's why I made the switch to NetSuite by Oracle. It's changed our company. Think about it. NetSuite is one of the top financial systems out there. It puts your whole business on one platform, accounting, finance, the works, one data source for everyone. There's no more mismatched info. And because it's in the cloud, it slashes your IT costs. No more servers, no more updates. Just access NetSuite from anywhere. With one integrated suite, your overhead drops big time. And here's the real win. Efficiency. Everything's connected in NetSuite. Costs are ridiculous lately. Find a proven way to reduce your expenses and get better performance out of your team. It's a no-brainer, and that's what NetSuite offers. Over 37,000 companies have figured this out already. You have to join them. Right now, through to April 15th, NetSuite's got an incredible, flexible financing plan. Check it out and see the savings yourself at netsuite.com slash scottclary. That's netsuite.com slash scottclary. Hiring as a small business owner is a major pain. That's why LinkedIn is supporting today's episode. You need people with the right skills and experience, but finding them can take forever. It is incredibly frustrating to keep seeing candidates who just aren't a good fit, and that's why LinkedIn Jobs has been a game changer. Let me tell you a little story. We needed to hire a graphic designer, somebody with specific tech and software knowledge and the ability to truly understand our brand. And I started with all the usual job boards, and it's the same old story. Tons of irrelevant applications. No one's really matching 
my needs. I tried LinkedIn jobs and the quality of candidates was just on another level. People with impressive portfolios, relevant expertise. I finally felt like I was interviewing the right people. That's truly the power of LinkedIn's massive professional network. You're tapping into this huge pool of talent you simply wouldn't find on other sites. It's about finding those niche candidates you actually need. And with the right people in front of you, hiring becomes a breeze. Did you know that 86% of small businesses find a qualified candidate on LinkedIn jobs within 24 hours. That is how well their system works. Honestly, do yourself a favor and try LinkedIn jobs next time you're hiring. You can post your job for free at linkedin.com slash excellence. That's linkedin.com slash excellence. Terms and conditions apply, but it's definitely worth trying out. I don't know about you, but the idea of being harassed, scammed, or even worse, all because somebody found my personal information online, that's terrifying. Our political opinions, our addresses, even stuff about our families, it's out there for anyone to grab. And did you know that data brokers are allowed to sell information on over 98% of Americans? It's scary stuff. That's why I've partnered with Delete Me. I personally use Delete Me. They're a big friend of the podcast because I put myself out there online. So safety is a huge concern. It's really scary how easy it is to find someone's details and information. But Delete Me creates a layer of protection that we all need. You tell Delete Me what you want gone and they make it disappear from those sketchy data broker sites. And Delete Me doesn't stop. They constantly monitor the web to keep your information off those lists. It's like having a privacy watchdog that never sleeps. You need to take control of your data and keep your private life private by signing up for Delete Me. They're giving a special discount for all Success Story podcast listeners. Get 20% off your Delete Me plan when you go to joindeleteme.com slash success and use promo code success at checkout. The only way to get 20% off is to go to joindeleteme.com slash success and enter code success at checkout. J-O-I-N-D-E-L-E-T-E-M-E dot com slash success. Hey everyone, I just want to take a second and thank the sponsor of today's episode, Heaven Hill Bottled and Bond Bourbon. Now I don't have a lot of liquor sponsors on this show. Heaven Hill Bottled and Bond is actually one of my favorites. I've drank it for a few years now, and this is why we actually decided to work together. Heaven Hill Distillery, family-owned since 1935, is a great entrepreneur story, too. So there's five brothers. They filled their first whiskey barrels back in 1935, and their legacy still lives on today. Heaven Hill Bottled and Bond is aged over seven years. That's three more than required by the Bottled and Bond Act of 1897. This means the best quality, the best purity, and the best consistency. This is not just average bourbon. It's the winner of the double gold medals at multiple 2023 World Spirits competitions, and they've won the very prestigious Triple Still Award. It's a very big deal in the liquor and bourbon world. Heaven Hill Bottled and Bond boasts an exceptionally smooth oak flavor, while its aroma offers a sweet blend of caramel and smooth vanilla. If you love bourbon, you need to try Heaven Hill Bottled and Bond. Available nationally, look for a bottle at your local store. Heaven Hill reminds you to think wisely, drink wisely. Think back to your last few days in the office. Did any of them leave you feeling really accomplished? Not the kind of day where you're running around like crazy, but where you've made real progress on something that matters. Because being busy doesn't always mean being productive. And I bet you we've all been there. And maybe it's time to rethink what it means to get things done. 
Today's episode is sponsored by Belay. And what they help you do is, instead of getting sucked into emails and to-do lists, they help you delegate tasks and focus on big goals. They can connect you with top-notch US-based talent who are ready to take on those time-consuming tasks that bog you down. Let's be real. There are way more important things you could be doing than bookkeeping or wrangling a packed inbox. They have virtual assistants to handle all of those pesky administrative tasks or accounting professionals to take care of all your financials. But here's the best part. You don't have to waste weeks searching for the right person. Belay's personalized matching service works quickly, sometimes matching you with the right talent to take stuff off your plate in under a week. Are you ready to try a different way of working? Check out Belay's list of the top 25 things you can delegate to a virtual assistant. It might just change your business and your life. Text success, that's S-U-C-C-E-S-S, to 55123 to get the list and to start transforming your to-do list with Belay. 